Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning. I'm Pastor Bruce. Good to see you here. I know others will be coming in. Hey, Gabe, Rachel. Hello, hello, hello. Congratulations. Yeah, how fun is that? Worship is over. Everybody pile on. Good to see you here this morning. This is wonderful. Yeah, how exciting. We'll get, we'll get acquainted here in a little while, huh? <laughs> Wonderful good news. Hey, um, Isabella or Isabella? Isabella? Isabella. Okay, I wanted to be sure we got that right. Well, congratulations, you guys. It's wonderful. Aww. We're happy for you. Keep you in our prayers. Um, and Well, again, welcome everybody and online welcome as well. We're glad that we're here in the body of Christ to worship the Lord. And we know that as others come in, we want to make sure that we welcome them as well and make sure they feel right at home. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very, very much for who we are in Christ. We thank you for your wonderful word to us, the scriptures, and your presence of the Holy Spirit in us, Lord God, is tremendous. We thank you again from the bottom of our hearts for the cross, for the resurrection of Christ, for his return someday, and God, we know that before that time comes, we will see you face to face by your grace and made right with you now and forever. We're so thankful. Good to see Gabe and Rachel here and little Isabella, and we're thankful, Father, for that little one born into the world. We thank you, God, that we're blessed to be able to be with them in worship this morning, and we give you all the praise mm -hmm. for life, life now and life to come. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's stand. Yeah, let's all stand. I was... Uh you know, every Sunday is a Resurrection Sunday, and there's so many songs that we didn't sing on Sunday. So we're going to start off with a Resurrection Sunday song. <laughs> Everything is gone. I know. 
Let's pray. Lord God, thank you, Father, that you are so worthy of our worship. Lord, you are perfect in every way. Lord, you are holy and perfection. Thank you, Father, that we have a God who is trustworthy, a God who is worth all the praise and glory we could give him. And Lord, we thank you that in your greatness and in your lordship, Lord, you, you are so tender and so good to us. And Lord, just I pray, Lord, that you'd help us all to remember throughout every day, whatever we're doing, Lord, that every step we take, Father, we need you. We need you to guide us. We need you to hold us accountable. We need you, Father, to forgive us. And Father, we're just so grateful that you always answer. You always answer with just the perfect answer. And we just praise you, Father, and give all of our worship and glory to you. Amen.
Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can sing your praises and confess that we come, Lord, imperfect. We come, Lord God, with burdens. We come with joys. We come fatigued and we come with tons of energy. Lord, we thank you that no matter how we feel and no matter what this week has brought, what we've done or haven't done, no matter what we've said or haven't said, thoughts that we've dwelled upon, or not, Lord God, we are covered constantly in your grace. The forgiveness of our sins when Christ died on the cross, Lord God, we come to you this morning in faith. We come to you trusting that our sins were laid upon him, that he bore them for our sakes, for your justice to receive your mercy. And so, God, we come to worship you with gratitude and freedom and liberty, with joy and love in our hearts to know that each and every day we rely on you. Each and every day you are our grounding. You're our stay. You're the one that keeps us rooted and strong in Christ. We thank you, Father, that in this world, Jesus said, we're going to have many troubles. But take heart, Jesus told us. You've overcome it. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning that you have overcome the problems we see, the things we face, the issues in our own life, and that eternal life is there, a new heaven and a new earth to come. You're a creator. You're the sustainer. You have all the authority and power. You're a sovereign king. And so, God, this morning, we come to lay our burdens before you. We come to be refreshed and renewed and encouraged, to have your love overflow in our hearts. And in the world we live in, it's your world. I just want to pause for a moment. If you have anything you want to share with the Lord in your prayers, just express that now in your heart to God. Thank you, Father, for the life we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the church. Lord, the churches around the world, one church, one body, one baptism, one Lord. God, we thank you that with our brothers and sisters globally and the saints above, we can give you praise and glory always. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. A uh, couple of quick announcements. Uh, the nursery will always need uh, some extra volunteers. Some of our volunteers are tied up with health issues and other things, so if you would be able to provide one Sunday a month even or anything like that, uh, do let us know. And also, Pentecost is May the 28th, and both of our elders in charge of fellowship, which means food, are tied up with other activities this year. It kind of falls on Memorial Day weekend as well. So if you have a heart for food, we're Americans, we're Presbyterians, it's there. But if you would like to participate in that, uh, talk to me or the office, and we will get back to you and uh, help you succeed. So it doesn't need to be complicated. Um, we can also put it off a week if we want to. But if you're interested in seeing that carried through on Pentecost Sunday, let us know. We're still a month away, of course, so there's plenty of time to plan. Hey, so Bruce, we, speaking of food, 
Yes, Steve, and here's our, yes, go ahead, please. <laughs> we have the blessing of having Rachel and Gabe, and Gabe, what's your mother's name? Stephanie. Stephanie. Hi. <laughs> um, anyway, we, I have set up a take a meal for, um, for this family, and it should be sent out in our all-church email here pretty soon. Um, but if you have an interest and you don't like fiddling around with computers and things like that, I'm the contact person. So, um, but if you can, wait for the email, go to the link, and sign in, and that would be awesome. So we want to help relieve some of those burdens of figuring out what to have for dinner <laughs> and just be able to heat it up and eat and go take a nap, right? <laughs> Guys look great, by the way. Yeah, good to see you. <laughs> yeah, let's bless this family to yeah. big time. Yeah, uh, Dave Porter's memorial was yesterday. It went really well. Um, we had a good attendance and a, and a good declaration in Dave's life and his faith in Jesus. And also, Deb Dale's memorial service is this coming Saturday at 2 o'clock. So just to remind everybody what's coming up. Any other general announcements that we don't want to forget? Okay. Well, should we have the kids go now, or should we watch the turkey prayer cast? Are you got everything ready? Then let's let the kids go now down to Sunday school, and then we'll let the prayer cast play in just a second. Kids are free to go. If you're middle school, high school, I think you're staying here with us in worship. Bruce, oh yeah. You're going to go down with Rachel? Uh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, Bruce, at first I thought, why are you sending the kids down when there's a turkey video coming on? And I was thinking turkeys, not the country turkey. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not food. <laughs> All right. Good to see him here. All right. By the way, um, we're having a good time with youth group on Wednesday nights. So even though Gabe's on paternity leave, uh, there is still youth group on Wednesday nights, and we're having a good time. So I'm trying to leave you alone, Gabe, as much as possible to let you be the dad, man. Are you having fun being dad? I bet. Good job. Congratulations again. It's wonderful. The uh, Easter offering this year is still open for donations. There's a little box in the back if you want to designate it for Ukraine and Turkey. Uh, we sent it into the EPC's main office, and then as they can, they disperse it out. As you know, there's been some tremendous deaths and earthquakes in Turkey, turmoil, and also we all know about what's happening in Ukraine, I imagine. So what this does is it helps provide resources uh, in the Christian communities there to reach their neighbors and to provide for the real practical needs that they have in so many different ways. And it's an opportunity for the gospel to be heard through resources, and that's part of what we're doing this year. So let's go ahead and watch the video and hear what's happening. Pray for Turkey, particularly. May the name of our exalted Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be praised. We want to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, who is the only one worthy to be praised and worshipped. O oh Lord, we are lifting up our voice from Turkey, where the gospel was spread. O oh Lord, in this country, in my country, may the people seek you. May they feel hunger in their heart. You said, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. 
Lord, open the hearts of our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Turkey. We are pleading with you from our whole heart that they would go after the lost ship in our country, our glorious Lord. Help those who believe preach the faith to their families. Please give all the people who are trying to explain you a chance to share with great passion to all the people living in my homeland and may the people understand and know you exaltedly. Please be near to the believing brothers and sisters who are being persecuted for preaching your name. Send your Holy Spirit on them. There is no other name to fear besides our Lord. Oh Lord, help the people in our country. Please help them to understand you, your glory, your greatness, and your sonship, Jesus, in the deepest of ways, because you are love. You are the source of love. Please send your love on this country. Send your Holy Spirit. Please open the hearts of those in the bondage of Satan, our siblings in our country. May they believe that the only salvation, only truth, only way is you. Please help them understand in their deepest parts that before you, there was never, no, never, the chance that they would have eternal life. Bring the holy writings into their homes. May the holy scriptures reach every family here in every corner of the country. Please give your power to the people who read the Holy Scriptures to truly understand who you are, exalted Lord. Open their hearts. Show them who the real source of love is in the Holy Scriptures. Please save the people of our country. We love our country a lot. You told us to love one another. You are the source of love. You loved us a lot. Please, O oh Lord, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with all that we are, we are begging you. Right now, our country needs salvation, and only you can provide this, Lord. Let your will be done in our country, as it is in heaven. Give peace to our country. We plead in the name of the exalted Jesus Christ, Please hear us, O Lord. Amen. Father, a long time ago, you know you sent your missionary, Paul, into what we call today Turkey, and he started many churches, Lord, and the power of your Holy Spirit transformed lives, and people came to faith in Jesus and found salvation, and they found freedom from the darkness and the light of the world, filled their hearts with love. Lord, they faced persecution then, and today, Lord God, 
Turkey is a very complex place with great pain and struggles and ideologies. Islam, Shia, Sunni, Kurds, Christians. And now, Lord God, you know that your, your community in Turkey is very small, a tiny fraction of the total population. We, we pray, God, for their safety. We pray that they will have the courage to share the gospel with their neighbors. We pray, God, for peace there. We pray for relief from the persecution that the Christian community faces. We pray, God, that more and more people will find freedom in Christ to know what love is, your love, and to know what love does, your grace at work. God, thank you so much for the Christian community there and for those that are yet to come to Jesus. We look forward, Lord, to the day when we meet face to face. And all glory is yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, the Islam is, is really a, a box that people find themselves trapped in. They, there's no guarantee of salvation. It's all determined by Allah, and Allah decides who gets to paradise and who does not. You can do everything right or try and do everything right, and you can't be sure even then that you're going to get to heaven or not. And the Christian community in Turkey now is less than 1% from what I've seen. And it's, it's a tiny little fraction left in that land, and we've got to remember to pray for them this week. They, they really need that in that minority status that they have, plus the persecutions that they face are very real. So um, it's a whole, wholly different place. I remember when I was in Tajikistan, I asked a young man, or actually I was asked by a young man, why did God create? And I said, out of love. God's love, he wanted to share his love with us. And that was such a startling, unique thing for him to hear. He had never imagined that God could love and show his love, and that's why he created. Um, totally new concept for him, and I think that comes out of that Islamic understanding. And you bring love to the table, it can transform lives. And they need that love. They do. Otherwise, they live in that awkward sense of, will I or will I not go to hell? Um, and that's a very real thing in their minds. So keep praying for them. It's so important. I'd like to invite you to turn to now Italy. Um, we're going to go back to Romans, Romans chapter 3, looped it, Romans chapter 3, 21 to 26. I've, I've bypassed the last stretch of the scriptures leading up through 320 because it's sort of a recap of what Paul had been writing about all along about the nature of sin and how we need a Savior and the conditions that we find ourselves in. And in that preceding part, he reiterates what he'd been saying and he brings many, many scriptural references into play as well. And so now, finally, after quite a hiatus from chapter 1, verse 17, Paul jumps to 321 in our Bibles, and we get back into the good news part that now we've been on looking at for the bad news for quite a while. So the good news is always relative to the bad, right? It's not good unless there's bad. Paul has shared that with us, and now... But now, those words, but now, and we're grateful for those words. By the way, kids are always welcome. We love them, right? 
That's right. How many of us, when we were in church and little kids, didn't we do that? I think I did. In fact, mom remembers one time I crawled through the pews to the very front row and she couldn't reach me. And boy, that was a bad day after church. You know, we're, we're, we grow up, don't we? It's all wonderful. Let's pray first. Lord, we come to your word now and we ask, dear God, that your holy word just fill our hearts and minds, that we want to love you and love our neighbors, Lord, in the way that truly expresses your holiness and your righteousness. We thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what Paul wrote. Now, it's been a while. He's, he's talked about how Jew and Gentile alike are both sinners. There's no immunity on Judgment Day for anybody. And so to stand before the Lord God, being sinners, there's consequences. But then after describing that we're all in the same boat, Paul starts off this new section with beautiful words, but now. And this is the very best news in a very short stretch of Scripture that Paul now hits in the highlights of what he wants to convey. Here's what he wrote. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, in other words, nobody could perform the law 100%, so it couldn't save anybody, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left his, the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Life is full of transitions. My dad had a saying that I'll, I, I remember to this day, when we kids were acting up and dad was stressing out and Home life was challenging because with three kids running around, uh, it could get pretty crazy. And so my dad had a funny saying, and it was this. Oh, dear, bread and beer. If I wasn't married, I wouldn't be here. You know, it wasn't the marriage that was the problem. It was all the kids under the roof that dad said, boy, if I wasn't married, I wouldn't have all these kids around. And, you know, it's a challenge. And I'll never forget that. That's sort of the but now, here I am kind of a way of saying it. When I was growing up as a kid, I had a huge, thick head of hair. And my barber's name was Buzz. And Buzz, yeah, that's what he called him. His name was, was Buzz. And he told me, don't worry, son, you'll never go bald. But now, <laughs> right, things change. Transitions happen. Who saw that coming? Uh, he didn't. Uh, once I was single, then I got married, and then we had two kids, and now we have four grandsons, and, you know, it's but now, here we are. And when Paul writes those two beautiful words, he's transitioning his thinking and our thinking between who we were without Jesus to who we are with Jesus, but now. This is what he's done. This is the and it was, it was a difficult thing for me to figure out how to preach this because 
this is the densest, tightest list of reasons why the world needs Jesus and why God gave us Christ. This is the most compact piece. It's like he took a variety of things and squished them all together into a very tight space. So I thought, well, then we've got to unpack it. Well, that's actually what Paul does over many, many, many chapters. So forgive me this morning if it's a little, a little bit um, detailed because later on we'll unpack it in a more applicable way, but there's application here as well, but it happens really fast. And there's a lot of words that he's using that come up for the very first time that introduce some of the things he'll bring up later. So let's look at what's, what's happening here. First of all, the first point is this. Our righteousness comes from God. We're not inherently right with God. We're not inherently right if we can do everything right. We're not right because we join the church or we're Presbyterians or Baptists or Methodists or Catholics or any other thing. We're not right because of what we do. We're right because of what God is, because God is righteous, and also what God does for us. So the first major point he's making to the Jews and the Gentile Christian community in Rome is this. You're all made right with God by God, not yourselves. And that's an important point. He basically is picking up where he left off. In chapter 1, verse 17, a transformative work that's changed many people's lives, Paul wrote these words, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by what? Faith. Faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now he left it at that, and he jumps into our sin component, the darkness, the things that are wrong. And he, he basically did that because the Jewish community thought they were all right with God. And Paul says, no, nobody's right with God. We, need, we all need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So when he says we're saved by faith from first to last, you might think, well, then we just need faith in faith. I need more faith, you might say. I've got faith in faith. Well, what is that? That's a circular reasoning. It doesn't take us anywhere. We wouldn't even know what that was. Well, Paul doesn't leave us there. He gives us more definition now, getting back to what he started in 117. He gets back to that initial statement, and he amplifies it so that we understand it more clearly. And here's what he adds in verse 21 and 22 at the beginning of 22. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, this isn't some new thing. This is, this is an Old Testament prophetic word that now finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And he says this, this righteousness, and again he emphasizes this righteousness is from God, comes how? through faith. But now he tells us what that faith is. He says, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So it's not faith in faith. It's not faith in religion. It's not faith in yourself. It's not a self-help book. The faith that we have is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And that's how we get God's righteousness declared over us. That's a gift that we've gotten from God. So we're not made right by faith in faith, but again, faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, apart from the law. What Paul is emphasizing is he's, he's probably been critiqued for suggesting, they thought, that part A was the Old Testament means of salvation through sacrifices, through the covenant. The Jews thought they were immune. Paul then worked very carefully through all of that and said, no, nobody's immune on Judgment Day. We all have to face our Maker. We're all sinners. We all need Jesus. So Jew and Gentile alike are in the same condition with God without Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say that the law highlighted our sin. Going clear back to Genesis 3, God promised a Savior. Now, I've, I don't know about you, but I've served on two juries so far. And I've been, on, I've been waiting to be on other juries occasionally, and I've, I've been on two, one of which we convicted the company, actually, of wrongdoing. But the first one, there were nine counts against an individual, and it was in Seattle. And uh, nine counts, you'd think, boy, if there's nine counts, there's got to be something in there that they're guilty of. But at the end of the day, when the jury went back and deliberated all the little details and all the stuff and all the judges' parameters, we came back with nine declarations of not guilty. We all thought they'd probably done something, but not a single one of them lined up with the judges' criteria and the evidence that was presented or the lack of evidence that was presented. And when we declared that not guilty, in Paul's day, they would have declared the defendant righteous. We would have said, the defendant is righteous on all nine counts. This is the language that Paul's using. It's courtroom language, and the people would have understood it. The righteousness of God is given to us. God declares we're innocent of all wrongdoing. That's what the imagery is. It's an analogy for them to grasp what, what has happened now, but now, in Christ Jesus, God's righteousness has been declared. And it's a bit of a surprise, actually, here, that Paul is actually, first and foremost, vindicating God, because he's been accused of suggesting that God is not as holy and righteous and just as the Jews have always known God to be. And Paul says, I agree with you completely. He is holy and righteous and just. He's all of that. I'm not saying anything different, Paul says. In fact, when the Old Testament prophesied that it wasn't through the law that we could be saved, but through a Savior promised clear back in Genesis 3 and clear through scriptures, Moses wrote about Jesus, all of that's there, then that vindicates God, and God's righteousness is maintained. Accuse God all you want. He's still holy. He's still righteous. He's still just. So it starts off with God is all that you imagine God truly is. God is true to his word. God has not changed. He is still our holy God. And we sang about that this morning. That's where Paul starts. And why do we know he's holy and just? Because Christ came and died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, as God promised. And we're made right with God, just as God intended. God is always right. 
and he's always holy. There's a lot of uh, but nows in the Bible. There's more than half a dozen in the New Testament. Some of them have to do with our salvation. I want to read three of them that amplify the transition between the before we knew Jesus and the now that we know Jesus. And I think it just helps us understand where Paul's going. Paul wrote two of them and Peter wrote one. Here's, here's Ephesians. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Um, that's not a gory statement. The blood of Christ just means that Jesus died on the cross. You shed your blood, you die. That's what he's saying. Not that we need blood thrown around, but that this is strictly saying he died, that we could live. We're brought near in relationship with the Lord. Then Colossians, he writes, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I like that one. There won't even be an insinuation. The, the man that was declared innocent of all nine counts, I can tell you this, the entire jury knew something was fishy. Every last one of us went out there feeling like he's done something wrong. You know, where there's that much smoke, there's got to be a little fire somewhere, but we couldn't convict him on any count. This is great news for us that there's not even an accusation. You cannot stand next to somebody and wink or nudge, don't we know better? There's not even an insinuation of wrongdoing when we stand before God because of Jesus. So if you've ever kind of wondered, like, oh, you know, I know my sins are forgiven, but I still feel like I might get embarrassed. There's not even a hint of embarrassment, not even a hint of wrongdoing, not even a raised eyebrow. 100% holy and right with God. And that's God's gift to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Peter wrote this, but you are a chosen people. That's good. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's what clients do when a patron gives them something they can never repay. What can we give God back? How can we give God glory? By praising his name and declaring how wonderful God is and the good news. Then he says this, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When I was in Alaska, we were ministering to the Haida Indian community. They were originally from Canada, and they moved up onto the southern tip of Prince of Wales Island, so the Haidas were an American transplant, you could say, and Jenny and I lived in that village. Well, we were not Haida, so we weren't a people. We weren't in the tribe. On Metlakatla, they have the Simpson uh, community there of Native Americans, and they gave, you know, they have the clan, the bear clan, the eagle clan, the raven clan, they have all these different animal names. Well, the Caucasians in Metlakatla didn't have a clan. And if you're not in a clan, you're not a people. So they gave them a clan. They called them the butterflies. 
the Butterfly Clan. What they did was they included that community in the clan language so that they would be a people. And when we read these words, once you were not a people, you weren't part of the clan, you're not clothed in Christ Jesus, but now you are. And it's a gift of God. It's not an achievement. Nobody needs to be left out. We're all invited to be part of that wonderful clan, the Christian clan. That's God's plan. So who are we? Well, without Jesus, we're helpless. We're left in the dark. We're held captive to the sins in our lives, the things we struggle with. But now we're declared right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So who is God? Well, he's certainly holy and just. That's right. And God can do anything, but he won't, he won't be contrary to his own nature, right? He'll still be true to himself. So we can count on God to always be holy. And here's something that... Um, it's difficult for people to accept, I think, in the wider world, and maybe even ourselves sometimes. If God doesn't punish sin, then how is God holy? If God is soft and easygoing and chill about sin, what does that say about the nature of God? God, by default, tells us that he is light and not dark. He tells us that he's right and not wrong. There is no sin in God's nature. So for God to be holy, then, there's no tolerance for that. How do we then get right with God when we're all sinners? God supplied the answer. And that's the good news. But now. And I'm grateful. I also found an application. There are many, many verses that talk to the Christian community. You used to behave this way. These were your values. These were your interests. These are the things you invested in and counted on and relied upon and promoted and celebrated. But now, as Christians, there's a different way of living and there's a different ethical value in our lives. The love of the Holy Spirit moves us, transforms us, inspires us. And I've written down many verses that have that but now in it for behavioral reasons. I'll leave it to you. You can take that home and look those up and use those as this week's meditation to think those through and pray about those. Here's an example of just one of them. It's in Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. That's a challenge. That's the, but now we're believers in Jesus Christ, so I want to know how to live. And Ephesians is just one example of many that move us to action. In fact, there's the phrase, you know, you fear the Lord. Fear of the Lord doesn't mean let's all get scared and go home and crawl under our beds and cover our heads with our arms and wait for the atomic blast from heaven to hit us. This fear of the Lord, as the Bible refers to it, means we act on what we know we should do. It's a reverence and awe of God. And this is what Paul and many other writers would say, but now. And I was thinking about my life, you know, well, but now what, Bruce? 
How do I want to live my day? How do I want to shape my values? But now, see, I'm a Christian, and there's that moving spirit in me that wants me to honor God with my body and with my mind, with my spirit, my heart, right? And that's a challenge, isn't it, for all of us? And so I think these but now applications are really helpful to just spend a little time, look them up, read through them slowly, and then think about your life and your life's work and your priorities and see where that takes you. Let the Bible do the talking, right? Um, but we'll just need to open those words and hear them. Then everybody needs to believe in Jesus Christ. That's a universal fact that the Bible doesn't skirt. Verses uh, 22, 23, there is no difference. doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. doesn't matter who you are or where you live or what time you were born. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I have literally heard people, when they hear about somebody in their family coming to Jesus, I've heard other family members say, well, that's great. I'm glad he's become a Christian. He really needed it, like some therapy. Problems with drugs, alcohol, attitude, broken relationships. There's something wrong with them. They need Jesus. The problem I run into more often than not is the general attitude in the West, America, that we're basically good people. And if I'm a good person, then really I just need some refinement, uh, some improvements. That God is the God of, you could say, refurbishing. Or maybe God could do a little remodeling. You know, God, you can have this part of my life, but I don't want you to mess with this part of my life because I'm pretty happy with it. So there's a compartmentalization because we think we're good, good enough. Maybe we could be better. You can go to Barnes & Noble and you'll see self-help books. What's that all about? Well, I want to be a better person. I want to improve this or that in my life. I want to go to counseling. I want to make myself a better husband or a better wife or a better friend or a better or a parent, even a better child, right? All of that's out there. And there's good out there in many ways, but there's a difference between good and perfect. We all fall short of perfection. God is the standard for good. Good is God. So are we as good as God? And I thought, there's an easy way to test it. Sin is the easiest thing to prove. We just don't like to talk about it. We like to just sort of shy away from the darkness and the evil and the corruption in the world. But just think of two little tests. One is this. Do I love God completely all the time? No. Do I love my neighbor like I love myself? Well, what that really means is, do I love my neighbor in a way that's best for them? It's their best interests at heart in me. One of the things that came out in David's memorial service yesterday was that when there was those major floods in Vernonia, David made sure that the truck was rented that could get the supplies out to Vernonia to help the people that struggled in the flood. I didn't know that until the other day. Things like that happen, and people's hearts pour out. It's this, do we love our neighbor in a way that's beneficial to them 
as we love ourselves because we typically do things that are beneficial to ourselves, right? Can we do both love God and love neighbor 100%? No. Can we do it okay? Well, maybe. Can we have good days and bad days? Yes. We can have a great day. We can go into Portland and we can do some ministry on the streets or whatever and we can come home the next day and forget all about the streets the next day. Are we as good as God? And the Bible says, for all have sinned and what? Fall short. Who makes up the gap? Who gets us across? That's Jesus. And in our culture, we need to help people realize that, yes, we can do good things, but the standard of goodness is an absolute one, and that's God. And that's where I think as we go forward in the outreach evangelism and discipleship ministries of the church, we need to keep that in mind because the world around us sees things through a different lens. I grew up in the church, been a Presbyterian almost all my life, but more importantly, I've been a Christian since I was a little kid. My lens has a biblical lens on it, right? I'm, my brain, my thoughts, my words, my thinking are informed by Scripture. I know that that space out there is called a narthex. I know what the sacristy is. I know what the blood of Jesus means. If you haven't been to church, you'd say, nar what, nar whale? That's your nar, nar whale. That's about the best thing, right? And then what's a sacristy? Is it, what is that? What do you keep in there? What, is, what are all these terms that we're so used to? Apps and other things, right? We get familiarized with our own territory and our own way of thinking. We've got to realize that when people are in the dark and they don't know the good news of Jesus, I even heard a man the other day say on TV he didn't even know who Moses was. And I thought that would be pretty widespread. But he didn't even know who Moses was. People have all kinds of limited information and increasingly limited in some cases. We've got to realize who we're talking to and convey to them that nobody's perfect. And I think in a moment of honesty, if we say, do you really love others that's in their best interests all the time? No. What about God? Maybe we need to even explain that there is a God. We've got to find our starting points. But ultimately what we're doing is we're trying to help them realize they need Jesus. That's what Paul was doing from chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20 helping everybody appreciate that we all need Christ. The world around us is different than in Rome, but people are still people. We just need to realize what they're thinking, where they're coming from, the blind spots that they have, and then speak into those places to help people see that we all fall short, right? But there is a way forward, and that's Jesus Christ. Then the third point then is this. Only God's grace by Christ justifies us. For verse 24, and are justified freely, I love that word, freely, by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Again, affirming that our justification is available through faith. And Paul adds two important details. First of all, he says we're justified by the means of God's grace. What does it mean to be justified? Well, the jury comes out and says that the defendant is innocent of all charges. Then the judge makes the final rendering. Okay, you're free to go. You're, you're declared innocent by the jury. Goodbye. Have a good life. 
whatever it is. The minute the judge confirms and sets the prisoner or the defendant free, that is the word here, justification. So we're set free in God's court, you could say, by grace. Now, what is that? Grace is a free gift. Unmerited, undeserved. If you really want to hear a great Old Testament account of grace, I love, my favorite one is in Zechariah, where Joshua stands before the Lord. It's judgment. It's a courtroom scene, and he's dressed in filthy rags, and Satan is there to accuse him of being a sinner. He's going to take Joshua down. He's going to show God that he's got a sinner on his hands, and God's going to condemn Joshua. But before Satan can even insinuate that there is sin, and Joshua has no defense, he's dirty. God jumps in and says, stop everything, take those dirty clothes off of him, put those white garments on him and a turban on his head, which would say holy to the Lord. In other words, by grace, Joshua is saved by faith. An act of God declares him just and right. That's grace at work. And that's what Paul says, justified freely by his grace, that we don't show up dirty in God's court. We show up clean and right with God. And that's all through Jesus Christ. Redeeming is a great word. It's, you might think, coupons. You know, you go to the store with a coupon. The other day we got some Papa Murphy's pizza, and Jenny says, where are those coupons? I know we had some discount coupons. We couldn't find them, so we had to pay the regular price, right? But coupons still leave you paying something. I've never had a, well, rarely will you get a free coupon. But usually you get 20% off or a certain rate that's better than the original, right? This is not a coupon, where God says, I give you a 50% discount on your sins, now you better shape up. This is a free, 100% paid-for gift that you can collect, and that's only done through faith. You've got to trust Jesus. I like John 8, 36. Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. How free are you? Do you feel it? Do you know it? Have you experienced the freedom of forgiveness of sins? Are we afraid to tell God we've blown it? When we go to bed at night and we have some sin weighing on our heart earlier in the day, but we don't want to let God know, then we're not as free as we should be. When we confess our sins, we're saying, I know I'm free, and we're just agreeing with God. Yes, God, you know, and now I admit that I know, and I want to, but now, live into the child of God that I really am. And I celebrate that freedom as I confess my failures. Because I know that he has justified me and declared me right by his grace. That is such a freedom. We don't have to hide and duck and cover. We can be authentic. Don't you want your kids growing up to be authentic? We taught our kids the worst thing you can do is lie. If you broke that thing... Don't try and say it was somebody else's fault or the dog or the cat if you did it. Just tell us the truth. It's so much better if you just tell us the truth. And that's, I think, what God would tell all of us. Just open up. Open up. Share your heart. It's a relationship that we have. We can be honest and transparent and real with God. And I think when we are, our, our lives will change. Our prayer life will improve. 
our intimacy with God will be deeper and richer and more wonderful. Just come along and realize if the sun sets you free, you're free. You are free. There's no more chains that can bind you in the dark. You are free. And we can live into that. So why does everybody need to be freed? Because everybody, Jew and Gentile, alike are under sin, Paul wrote. Under sin. And ain't in our being. Now, some people might say, well, if Jesus paid the price for our freedom and set us free, because the redeeming, like a coupon, is what you pay for a slave, someone that's trapped in a situation. They can't get out on their own. So you pay the price to set the slave free. Then people wonder, well, who got the money? Who got bought off? Since the early years in the Christian church, the theory, or the, not the theory, but the, the innu, insinuations were that Satan got paid by God to release us. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that God pays Satan anything, except condemnation at the end, right? So what is happening? Well, it's just an analogy with a courtroom-like scene that Paul is saying, you're all familiar with the courtrooms. We got it. You're declared innocent before God. Then who paid the price to set you free? Jesus did. When he died on the cross, that was the price paid. To whom did the money go? Well, there was no money exchanged. He died that we could live. The only exchange is that Jesus took our sins to set us free. That's the exchange. And it's a great, great wonder that we are who we are in Christ. And do you know that we're destined for glory? How did God make you and me? In Genesis 1 and 2, God made us in his image. Did he make us sinners? No. We had the glory of God, that sinless, holy righteousness that Adam and Eve had in those first two chapters, God declares returned to us. And you might feel uncomfortable because glory doesn't mean divine. You're not going to be gods and goddesses, right? But what is glory? We're restored to the image that God has for each and every one of us. Dave Porter went to see Jesus on April 4th. He's not with Jesus as still a work in progress. In fact, at the, at the service, I got to say that we're still who we are, right? I imagine when I get to heaven, Dave Porter's going to say, Bruce! And I'll know that there's Dave over there. Nobody talked like Dave. So, okay, I can pick his, his voice out. And I think Dave will still be Dave. But he's now the perfect Dave. Glorified. I want to read you three texts here. Romans, I consider that our present sufferings aren't worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's a great one. Philippians, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. I don't know, I, I can't help it. You know, when Jesus shows up in a room and the door is locked, I kind of want to know if I can fly. I don't know that I'll be able to fly, but I kind of want to fly. Who knows what our new bodies glorified will be able to do? All I know is it's going to be a ton of fun. And we'll have the time that's timeless in the presence of Jesus. And it's going to be awesome. We got that glory coming. Second Thessalonians, he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. We've got glory coming. And the the application here I thought was, well, then it should start now, right? I want to live a glorified life now. I want to be the man that God wants me to be now. And that's a challenge. But it's a goal. It's a goal. It's an aspiration. And thank the Lord when I fall short that he declares me righteous, that he paid the price. And that's true for all of us who trust Jesus. Then lastly, Christ's sacrifice vindicates God's justice. The final two verses. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. That's why God did this. Because in his forbearance, he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. If he didn't punish sin, he would seem unjust and unholy, right? Without the cross. But he does sacrifice Christ, right? He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so that as to be the just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. He tells us how he did it, how he did it, and why he did it to save us. How he did it was Jesus' sacrificial death. That's how he did it. And the sacrifice of atonement for us is kind of like, what is he talking about? And this is where I want to just briefly mention If you're in that church in that moment where Paul's original letter arrived and you saw sacrifice of atonement, you know what you thought? The mercy seat on the ark, the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. On that cover, blood was sprinkled once a year on the Day of Atonement. That's in Leviticus. Just once a year. Now what Paul is saying is, with that image in mind, Christ is our saving mercy seat, the seat of God to save us. His blood was shed that we could live. And so that precursor of the Day of Atonement is really a pointing to Jesus, who fulfilled all of that. And when it says he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, what it meant was he didn't condemn them. There was no final judgment day. Everybody in the Old Testament was reserved for the coming of Christ, so that all in the Old Testament who had faith in Jesus, not by name, but by the Messiah, the Savior, knew they were saved by God's grace through faith in the Messiah, they, after Christ's death and resurrection, are also saved. How then is God's justice applied? Well, Christ took their sins and our sins, and together, Old Testament, New Testament, and post-New Testament, all of us today, We're all saved by the work of Jesus on our behalf. And so is God just? Yes. Is God holy? Absolutely. Does God tolerate sin? No. How does he bring us together? (laughs) Through Christ. That's God's work, and it's all God's work, demonstrating his justice. So what's the conclusion? Verse 26 ends, So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. told you it was a lot of details and I, I thought oh wow I almost thought I would chop it down into little bits and pieces and then I, and then I kept thinking that the whole has got its own power too you'll probably want to go back and read those verses again real slow and look at them more carefully I hope you will um, I'm just here to give you get you started give you some insights you can look at the video again if you want to we've preserved those in our archives The wages of sin is death. Is God holy, just, and right? Yes, God is. But the gift of God 
is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God brings us together. For the longest time, my confidence in my salvation was like an accordion, you know? It kind of went up and down. How about you? But now, I know it's not me. That's where the struggle was. My worth, my values, my work, my day, my thoughts, my actions, my love, I thought I had a lot to do with it. The more I read Scripture, the more concrete and solid with repetition and sincerity that it is God who saved me. It's God's grace that declares that I am right with God. Even on my worst day. Have you had worst days? But now we're saved. And the more I read, the more wonderful it gets. And the more liberty and the more love I can celebrate. How about you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, what a great love you have for us. What a tremendous outpouring of grace that we could be declared right and you are so holy. Your standards, Lord God, are higher and loftier than we could even imagine. What we can see is we're sinners. We do fall short on our own. But Lord God, you give us Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, you give us faith to believe, Lord God, and to trust, and that just sets us free. We're not bound up and wadded up in our own anxieties and our own concerns and our own self-centered interests, concerns, worries. God, in you and in you alone, we find we've been declared righteous, innocent, not even an implication, not even an innuendo, no raised eyebrows. You make us right. And so, God, this morning we thank you again for who we are in Jesus Christ. And we pray, but now, that if we are believers in Jesus, but now, we will live into that as your children. We need your Holy Spirit to help us do that. We thank you that your Holy Spirit lives within us and will shape and mold and transform us. Help us, Lord God, to be cooperative. Thank you for forgiving us when we do fall short. Lord, it's all yours. We are yours. And if anybody here this morning is saying, yes, I want to make that right, just say, Lord, I do believe right now, right at this very moment, that Christ did, in fact, die for me, that I could be free. And all is made right by you, that I am who I am now in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. In his name we pray, amen. cornerstone and sure foundation you are faithful to the end we are waiting on you Jesus we believe you're all to us precious cornerstone
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. And all of God's wonderful people can say, Amen. God bless you. If you want to talk to me some more about Romans, uh, even Peter said sometimes what Paul writes is difficult to understand. Well, there you go. Uh, But if you want to get the shortest, neatest, tidiest reasons why we need Jesus and how God did it, you just heard it. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. God's with you always. Thank you.